Welcome to Pick 6 Movies, where each season we select six movies, all related to a single theme. We examine the history of the people in front of and behind the camera, try to make sense of how and why the movie was made, and then discuss each one in way too much detail to see if they're any good. I'm Chad Cooper, and along with my co-host, Bo Ransdell, this season we are performing a psychoanalysis on the films of Turd Ferguson, where we are attempting to make sense of Mr. Burt Reynolds' most memorable and easily forgettable forays into filmmaking. In this, our sixth and final episode of the season, Burt Reynolds is returning to the director's chair with some of his most loyal film family to star in a dark comedy for some of his most loyal, adoring fans, of which I am one. As noted in our premiere episode of this season, the first album I ever bought was the soundtrack to Smokey and the Bandit. Burt Reynolds is noted as my favorite movie star on an All About Me profile created when I was 10 years old, and I currently own an original printing of the paperback novelization of The Cannonball Run. I was, and still am, a huge fan of Burt Reynolds. And I could only think of one person that was a bigger fan of Burt Reynolds than myself, and that was Sterling Archer from the animated series Archer. Originally, I perceived Archer's love of Burt Reynolds as a kitschy admiration of a movie star from a time gone by. I thought this love of Burt Reynolds was in and of itself a joke, that a grown man could be so in love with everything associated with Burt Reynolds. However, over the course of this season, I've noticed a lot of similarities between Sterling Archer and his hero Burt Reynolds. They're both openly sexist, passively racist, semi-consciously homophobic, they love to drive fast cars and love to shoot loud guns, they have lots of gratuitous sex, more often than not it's anonymous sex, They verbally point out other people's physical shortcomings. They think they are funny when almost everyone around them does not. They constantly laugh at their own jokes, constantly argue with others, and constantly point out the failures of those around them. They both behave violently, drink heavily, and swear constantly. In short, they're self-admitted assholes that don't really care what other people think about them. I've come to realize that Sterling Archer loves Burt Reynolds because Sterling Archer is, in effect... Burt Reynolds. And deep down, I love watching both of these two arrogant, self-aggrandizing, heroic goofballs. They make me laugh for all the right reasons, and in the end, all the wrong reasons. Which brings us to the final movie in our series. It has everything one could ask for from a Burt Reynolds movie. Gunshots, car stunts, misogyny, slapstick, suicide attempts, vomiting up prescription drugs, sight gags, vehicular homicide, pratfalls, funeral disruption, presumably real facial hair, definitely real toupee hair, low-grade hoarding, screaming at cats, mental illness, public masturbation, and we get to see the first-time comedic pairing of Burt Reynolds and the always delightful and brilliantly funny Dom DeLuise. So join us as we take a look at a movie that sums up all that we've come to know and love about a Burt Reynolds movie. From the Bandit to Stroker to Charlie B. Barkin, Ed Earl, Sharky, and last but not least, there's Sonny. We knew from the beginning there was only one place this journey would take us. Episode 6, The End. Blazing Saddles, The Muppet Movie, The Twelve Chairs, Spaceballs, An American Tale, 
The Cannonball Run, all of these movies share one commonality. They are the films of one Dom DeLuise. While perhaps most closely associated with Burt Reynolds, relegated to the unenviable role of sidekick to the stash, DeLuise was a born performer. He was born way back in 1933 in Brooklyn, New York. His father was a garbage collector, his mother a stay-at-home mom who raised Dom, the youngest, and older siblings Nicholas and Antoinette. He was a ham from an early age and graduated from Manhattan's High School of Performing Arts. He went on to attend Tufts University, but it was the stage that called to Dom. He began with stage performances, working both on and off Broadway, and booked a few TV appearances before nabbing the role of Sergeant Collins in Failsafe, where he had an opportunity to show off his dramatic chops. A few years later, he got called out by name in the New York Times review of The Glass Bottom Boat in 1966. Of the cast, critic Victor Canby said, quote, The best of the lot is a newcomer, Dom DeLuise, as a portly, bird-brained spy. In between those performances, Dom was working summer theater in Provincetown, Massachusetts, when he met an actress named Carol Arthur. A year later, they would be married. That marriage, bucking the trend of Hollywood marriages, lasted until the day of his death. But we'll come back to that sad day in a bit. With wind at his back career-wise, and a woman who would truly be the love of Dom DeLuise's life at his side, DeLuise was poised to lead a charm life. And that's not far from the truth. He worked steadily in film and television and on the stage, but his ship truly came in with 1970's The Twelve Chairs. Three years before, Mel Brooks hit it big with The Producers. His follow-up was The Twelve Chairs, and it marked the first collaboration with DeLuise, who would go on to appear in Blazing Saddles and History of the World Part 1, and even voice Pizza the Hut in Spaceballs for Brooks. Before the end of the 1970s, though, he would find his next great collaboration, that with the subject of our series, Burt Reynolds. This episode's film, The End, would be the first collaboration with Reynolds, who would become a mainstay in Reynolds' comedies. The Cannonball 1 and 2, Smokey and the Bandit 2, The Best Little Whorehouse in Texas, DeLuise was often the best parts of the movies in which he performed. One other Reynolds film marked another lifelong partnership. All Dogs Go to Heaven, a truly terrible family film, would also plan DeLuise in the Don Bluth camp. He would do voice work for The Secret of Nim, An American Tale 1 and 2, A Troll in Central Park. It is to Dom DeLuise's credit that, by all evidence before us, if you worked with him once, you wanted to work with Dom again. As an aside, DeLuise was such a force of mirth and joy, he became well known for his appearances with his pal, Burt Reynolds, on Johnny Carson's Tonight Show. Indulge me, if you will, for one moment, and try not to smile at the joy you hear here. Okay, so we'll circle back to Dom in a minute, but let's turn our attention for now to the film we're actually discussing, The End. Directed by Burt Reynolds, his second feature, 
The end is the story of a terrible person named Sonny who is diagnosed with a rare blood disease and seeks to off himself with the aid of Dom DeLuise's Marlon Barunke. Aside from tackling dark subject matter in a theoretically light manner, the movie featured a veritable who's who of famous actors from the 1970s. Our old pal Sally Field is there as the younger girlfriend of Reynolds' Sonny Lawson, but we already know her. Next on our Battle of the 70s Stars is Christy McNichol as his daughter Julie. It's difficult to overstate how ubiquitous Christy McNichol was in this period. She popped up on everything from The Love Boat to The Bionic Woman before appearing in films like The End, only her second feature, The Pirate Movie, and The Truly Uncomfortable Little Darlings. If you are of a certain age, you might remember her from the series Family or Empty Nest. Her last role was in 1998, and in 2001, McNichol released a statement saying she had retired from acting and would focus on her personal life. She worked with charitable foundations and taught acting, but it was her revelation in 2012 that she was gay and had been living with her partner for almost two decades that truly stunned people. Good for her, you know? Funny man David Steinberg, another Carson regular, pops up as Sonny's lawyer Marty Lieberman. Joanne Woodward, one half of the Joanne Woodward-Paul Newman partnership, appears as Sonny's wife, and old Hollywood royalty Myrna Loy shows up as Burt's mother alongside veteran character actor Pat O'Brien as his father. Norman Fell, a.k.a. Mr. Roper from Three's Company, shows up early as a doctor, and Carl Reiner, director of The Jerk and Dead Men Don't Wear Plaid, appears as a psychologist. While modern audiences may not recognize all these names, at the time, it was a really star-studded cast, which is perhaps, fittingly, a reminder of our own mortality and the inevitable passage of time. Ugh, now I'm depressed. I know what'll make me feel better. Robbie Benson! He's in this movie, too. You may not know his name, but I bet you know his voice. Robbie Benson was another uber-popular television actor in the 1970s who made some inroads into writing and directing in the 80s, as well as appearing alongside Burt in Rent-A-Cop a few years after the end. But his big claim to fame is his work as the voice of The Beast in Disney's classic animated film Beauty and the Beast. Oh, he was in that skating movie Ice Castles, too. The end is crammed full of famous actors of the time, but aside from Burt himself, the real star of the movie is the manic, multiple-personality-riddled Dom DeLuise. Let's end with the last days of Dom. He worked almost constantly, mainly voice work in the later years as his body struggled under his excessive weight, high blood pressure, and diabetes. But that didn't stop him from writing several cookbooks and a few children's books as well. He was pals with chef Paul Prudhomme and often joked he was Prudhomme's look-alike. His kids all dipped a toe into acting too, though none with the success of their father. But there are no tales of estrangement, no hidden abuses. Only a round, happy guy who loved his wife, who loved his kids, and who loved his craft. He left us in 2009, following organ failure due to his various health issues, surrounded by his family. His legacy is staggering. From film to television to animated work, he wrote... He cooked, he ate, he laughed, and he loved until his body just gave out. Bert, following the death of his longtime friend, said, quote, Dom always made you feel better when he was around. 
and there will never be another like him. Mel Brooks echoed the sentiment, saying, He created so much joy and laughter on the set that you couldn't get your work done. So every time I made a movie with Tom, I would plan on another two days on the schedule just for laughter. While the end may be a wrong-headed black comedy, there is no denying the joy in DeLuise's performance. But what about the rest of the movie? Is Sonny the worst Reynolds character we've seen so far? Is suicide ever funny? What about terminal illness? What if you combine them? For these answers and more, I offer up to the jury 1978's The End. Well, Chad, we have here before us tonight our final episode of season one. I'm feeling a little nostalgic. Uh, I feel like the end is the way to wrap up, not only because the title of the movie is the end, and that's kind of funny, but also this is the perfect blend of uh, racism, uh, sexism, Mm -hmm. uh, assholery. Mm-hmm. I feel like the end in many ways captures the spirit of one turd Ferguson almost better than any film we've discussed so far. This movie is Burt Reynolds at his most Burt Reynolds-ness. And it really is the culmination of everything we've seen in the last five movies all rolled into one. He's an asshole. He thinks he's funny and he's not. He's a misogynist. He's not afraid of of making racist jokes, to your point. He makes fun of people's physical appearances in an attempt to be funny. And as I mentioned, he's not funny. However, under the right circumstances as an actor, he is able to emote and handle some heavy scenes, surprisingly. There are a couple of moments in this movie that were they in a different film, I think would be really poignant. Let us dispense with the fuckery. And get right into the movie because we got a lot of ground to cover. The movie opens with voiceover from our pal Bert. And it is clearly a hospital setting. He is being asked to pee in a cup. He is getting x-rayed by Frau Farbissina. It is a black screen. And it is dialogue that, again, is meant to be funny where he's talking to that nurse. This nurse says... I don't think I can fit the whole thing in. And Burt Reynolds says, well, you look like you can. And then there's the nurse calls him a good boy in this weird mommy role play sex thing that's going on. And then we get the, the Fraulein, who is clearly not a person with a German accent. And then she tells him to drink some liquid and he's, he thinks it's the piss he just peed in a cup. She's going to stick a tube somewhere and he oofs when you start up with a little comedic back and forth. And you're like, well, you know, how do we take this up a level? Well, let's show x-rays of, I don't know, tumors, blockages, something. Whenever you see x-rays in movies, it's never, oh my God, this is good news. Best you can hope for, you're a superhero mutant. That is, if everything comes up your way. To your point, okay, so they're showing these x-rays of lymphomas and whatnots. As they're showing this, they play sort of the title song of this movie which is Paul Williams, our pal Paul Williams from Smokey and the Bandit, singing a song called uh, It's a Fine Mess. It's kind of catchy. I kind of like it. <laughs> I'm a, look, I'm a Paul well, Williams then... apologist. I, I'm, I'm not going to back down from that. I like the man, and I think this is a damn fine piece of music. 
for so much of this movie that we've seen before, there are some things that we haven't seen before. And one of them is a bearded Mr. Burt Reynolds staring out a window and the camera just holds for, in my opinion, an uncomfortably long period of time. You know, I think it shows some confidence as a director, which, of course, Burt Reynolds directed this, that he is not afraid to show himself on screen. <laughs> and his name is Sonny, but I refuse to call him that for the rest of this conversation. He's just Burt Reynolds. Because the name's <laughs> right. Sonny. It's like, it's like, is it supposed to be like Willie Loman? It's a real 70s name. Like, you don't run into people named Sonny anymore. But back in in the day, you had Burt Reynolds as Sonny in this movie. You had your Sonny Corleone. Yeah, like you couldn't swing a dead cat without hitting a Sonny. And then they cut over to Norman Fell as maybe the worst doctor ever, or certainly the the skeeviest. I think there's there's so much going on in this setup because what we have is a character who's been told they're going to die, and it's very sad and it's very somber. And then when he asks the doctor you know, how long he has to live. The doctor says one year and then Burt Reynolds's character starts crying, but it's played for laughs and it's not funny. This is how someone would normally react when being told you're going to die. This is the doctor scene from Joe versus the volcano gone wrong. And he says it could be as early as three months and Burt Reynolds breaks down even more and it's meant to be funnier and it's not, it's more tragic. There's a point where he is rating his pain. You know, he he's like, Mr. Roper says, how do you feel today? He's like, I don't know, like a six. And Mr. Roper says, as the doctor, oh, you rate your pain. How interesting. And I'm like, isn't that the way it works? And he seems stunned by this. Like, it's a revelation. Oh, that's so interesting. That's how you do it. He's coughing and sneezing and blowing his nose, which, again, Burt Reynolds directed this. He told him to do it, and it's it's meant to be funny, and it's not. It's just stupid. You don't be funnier. Instead of blowing his nose, if he was standing there with his pants down, wiping his ass, that would have been funny. <laughs> that, that would have been funnier. Burt Reynolds tells uh, Dr. Roper that... Uh, I've not had much dignity in my life. And I wrote down, never a truer statement has been said ever. I hated this movie. <laughs> it's, it, it's really frustrating. There are things I like about this movie, and that's what makes me even more frustrated with it. Like, this whole first hour of the movie is awful. It came out, like, uh, what, a year after Smokey and the Bandit, It like which was one of the biggest movies of the year, you know, the year before or a couple of years before. And it's got Sally Field and Tom DeLuise and like all these actors we talked about in the intro. This should be a movie that people are like, oh yeah, the end. It's a weird black comedy that Burt Reynolds directed starring everybody who, who was in a movie or television show in the seventies. And it's not, it's so bad that we have all just collectively agreed to forget it. Quick note, this is the most racist movie in this series we will talk about. So <laughs> but so this begins my one of my frustrations <laughs> with the movie in that he I, I feel like he's supposed to be kind of a hypochondriac in this scene, but he can't resist the urge to be an asshole too. And then we go outside of the office where uh, the, the secretary is like do you want to make another appointment and he's like no 
and moves on to a sign on the wall that is like Dr. Norman Fell, PhD or whatever. And right. it says like a, a such and such corporation. And he says, uh, I'm pronounced dead by a corporation. Is that a joke? All right. L- let me put this in some context. This is the same era of the incredible shrinking woman. And it seems like the 70s was the sort of the, the awakening of like, maybe corporations aren't great for people. Would it be funny if in real life, someone was told that they were going to die. Then they walked and got on an elevator. And then when they got in the elevator, they had an emotional breakdown. Would that be funny? If you're crying and the, the sound of your crying is... It goes on too fucking long, which is the whole problem with the first hour of this movie. They move away from him the way that the Ghostbusters move away from, you know, the first time that Proton Pack is turned on. Like he's weeping and crying and people just like slowly shift into the corner to get away from him because I guess his sadness is somehow catching as well. The entire show is worth it. For that reference and the fact that I thought of it as you were saying it. (laughs) He looks just like Sean Connery in this movie. And I don't know if they just went to the same wigatorium or, or, you know, (laughs) toupeateria. Yeah, like somehow Burt Reynolds saw into the future and saw the movie Outland Mm -hmm. and was like, how did you do that, Sean? He's like, hey, I... Where you get that rug? He's like, I've got the guy. He's he makes the best goddamn rugs in the world. You can slap a woman, and no matter how much she struggles, she can't rip it off. That sounds pretty great. Yeah. One drawback, but they're made out of puppies. If you can stomach that, what an asshole! Yeah, he's he's so fucking awful at this. So once he gets outside the hospital, like once we've concluded this scene that's gone on for probably 10 minutes, we're probably 10 minutes in the movie at this point, which is way too long. This movie is the equivalent of a stand-up comedian bombing on stage. It constantly is making jokes. None of them land. And even you kind of look at the person beside you like, are they, is this trying to be funny? I, it's just it's just absolutely miserable. You're 100% correct. And this is illustrated by the fact that he finds a ticket, on, like a parking ticket on his car, which is a perfect opportunity for a joke. And instead, he just wads it up and tosses it off. And then he stops and smells the, he stops and smells the flowers. And then he makes a face like he's smelling a pile of dog shit. And and why does he do this? Because his character's an asshole. But that's kind of what the movie ought to be. You know, it ought to be he, he gets this death sentence and he decides, you know what? I'm going to do whatever the fuck I want. That's what the movie ought to be if you're going to let Bert be Bert. If you do that, this in the, the day and age when it was made, it's rated X and it's not a comedy. I mean, you t- it, it's a dark movie, but it goes into some really, really frightening places. It's just it's Requiem for a Dream. It is, man. It it gets scary. <laughs> I mean, like there's like a 20-minute sequence where all he does is sharpen a knife. And you're just like, where the hell is this going? 
naked, sharpening a knife with a lonely light bulb slowly swinging in the background. I'm like, you give me that. You know what? That's the end. Like, that, like you know what? <laughs> this is not the movie I paid for, but I got to tell you, I'm happy that this is the movie I got. That's on the cutting room floor for the movie Sharky's Machine. I feel like that happened in that movie. Or maybe it's a, a scene from Best Little Whorehouse in Texas on the cutting room floor. Oh, my floor. God. It's, it's a naked Jim Neighbors sharpening a knife you know (laughs) shaving his scrotum you know a la crocodile dundee give me that movie i'll give you eight bucks hey let me ask you a question have you ever been to a funeral yeah i've been i've I've been to a funeral with you (laughs) i know the answer to this but i was gonna ask you have you ever have you ever ridden in a funeral procession have you ever had a bearded asshole right up alongside the hearse and scream out, what did he die of? And I get that it's supposed to be funny. It's not. In this moment, he's driving on the wrong side of the road. He causes the hearse to crash. He gets the middle finger from the widow. He doesn't seem to give a shit that he's caused a funeral procession car accident because where he crashes is in front of a church. Credit where credit is due. I like the fact when he runs off the road and there's the shadow of the church's cross on his head and he looks up and it uh, sort of centers on it on his forehead. I was like, hey, that's a good shot. Also, it would be awesome if this was a secret vampire movie. You know what Bob Ross calls that? That's a happy little accident. <laughs> I, I, there's there is no way. That Burt Reynolds said, yeah, you know, I mean, I got an idea. I would have the cross uh, shadow I'm on my head. It didn't happen that way. Let's back up, put it in first, <laughs> let out the clutch, and let's get into this conversation with Reverend Robbie Benson or what? Father Benson. Dave Benson is his yeah. name, sir. All right. He, who became a priest right out of high school. And right away in the, his conversation with Bert, who has clearly come into the church, not clearly, what am I saying? Hazily has come into the, <laughs> <laughs> has muddily has come into this church and is, I don't know, about to give confession or something where he says he committed adultery a couple of hundred times. And the whole time that he's rolling out this list of sins, Robbie Benson, AKA Dave Benson clever the end um is listening to this confession and he's taken off his collar and is annoyingly popping it in his mouth as he's like uh-huh and then what'd you do i mean he is all but jerking off in the confessional as burt reynolds is talking about all his adulterous affairs he asked him like we know how many how many times you know did you cheat on on your wife and he says well with 200 different women over eight years let me crunch the numbers on that here we go. That's 25 a year, which is over <laughs> two a month. Yeah. And I do like uh, the response of Jesus Christ. I mean, you know, like Hail Mary. And like Robbie Benson, the, one of the many stories of this movie, one of the many through lines of the film is that Burt Reynolds is constantly surrounded by better actors who give a shit. And Robbie Benson. That's not hard. <laughs> right. But the way to end this scene is with, bless me, Dave, for I have sinned, cut, we're out of the scene. We don't need all the real estate and adultery stuff because none of it's funny. It only paints him as an asshole. And if you're trying to do a black comedy about death, I think you want your main character to be likable. Otherwise, kind of, what's the point? 
He's just an asshole who's going to die. Burt Reynolds says that he quit going to church after after he uh, got interested in sex. And then it sort of you know becomes this conversation about personal faith. And then Father Benson or Father Dave, uh, he if correct me if I'm wrong, he says that he thinks about lusting after women and drinking alcohol and like screwing over a business partner. Yes, and it it, it gets it, that's weird. And then Burt Reynolds, because he's Burt Reynolds, he's like, "Hey, nah, nah, let's get this back to me." Nah, nah, nah. And then he asks the priest if if jacking off is still a sin. And then the priest tells him that he jacks off a lot. And I'm just like, like, I feel so gross. I'm getting skeeved out just remembering how bizarre and weird this movie is, specifically to this moment. I don't want to hear a priest tell me that he jacks off and thinks about fucking women and and getting drunk. Like, this doesn't make any sense. And he's like 19. Wait, maybe it does make sense. Like you said, this just doesn't belong here. It it goes on too long, as everything does. It's not funny uh, after the... As everything is (laughs) in this movie. After the Bless Me Dave stuff. And when we finally get out of there, get out of the, the church, we immediately go to a hospital where Bert is again trying to up his asshole quotient in every scene because he starts harassing a you know an orderly. Where do they uh, where do they uh, keep the dying patients right now? Huh? And I do like the fact that uh, that this character is like, man, I'm a singer. <laughs> I don't like I don't take this shit to heart. And he's like, people are dying here all the time. And I, so I like his character a lot. I think he's got a real, I don't give a fuck attitude that I appreciate, but Bert is like, no, no, no. The, you know, uh, we're the ones who are really dying. And he's like, yeah, go up to the third floor, which is the intensive care unit. And And he ignores the, he ignores (laughs) the sign that says authorized personnel only no admittance. And I was actually surprised that he just didn't kick down the doors like he did when he stole that Coors back in Bandit. Or or tear the sign off and look at the camera and wink. <laughs> Why not jeopardize the safety of others? He has a personal mission to conduct. So it, <laughs> he just barges in, starts roaming the corridors of the intensive care unit, and he sees a guy with a bunch of tubes and bandages on his head and shit, and he's like, Eh, not going to end up like that. It's because none of the people have full heads of hair and they're all kind of pasty white. And he doesn't want to go out like that because he's seen what he looks like when he gets out of the shower. I'm not going to die like this. He makes a comparison later, which we'll get to, which is one of the most racist things in the film. Again, this is the most racist movie. I know you have your questions about that. Burt Reynolds goes into the hallway, and on the payphone is Roscoe P. Coltrane from the Dukes of Hazard. Right. And his head is comically wrapped up in bandages for some reason, and he's wearing, like, a hospital gown, and he has an IV beside him, and he's on a payphone. And then I'm going to hand this over to you, and I would love to hear your version of what happens in the hallway. Okay. So Roscoe P. Coltrane is talking uh, all sexy with his wife, and he's like, Oh, what are you going to do? Where are you going to put? What are you wearing? Oh, you know, don't get me too excited because my, my ticker, you know, it's bad. Oh, what are you doing? Is he jacking <laughs> off in the hall of this hospital? Oh, oh, yeah, of course. You had a question about that. That's weird. I'm just looking for confirmation. 
Oh yeah, yeah. I think I think natural. I think he was actually doing it. I think Bert as director. No, wait, wait. That was my question. <laughs> hey, uh, I don't. You're talking all sexy, but uh, I don't see you cranking it. I mean, she's hot, right? <laughs> and, so he's the fucking angel of death in this scene because Bert is not only having. <laughs> Having uh, Roscoe P. Coltrane jerk off to his wife on the phone, he, as the character Sonny, Bert is, wants to use the payphone, and because the universe is about him, uh, the <laughs> fact that Roscoe P. Coltrane wants to conjugate the verb here before he hangs up is unacceptable to Bert, who then takes his IV bag and just, like, spins the dial so he cuts off whatever medication he's getting. Roscoe P. Coltrane is like... Honey, I got I gotta go. Things are getting wavy. And he hangs up and starts to walk away. And Bert, because he's a true asshole, does not restore the medicine to its proper setting. So Bert is calling his best friend slash lawyer's office to find out where he is. We see Roscoe P. Coltrane in the background, slowly losing consciousness. He he murdered him, right? I mean, I mean, that man's dead. Maybe. He's in a hospital and in the intensive care unit, so I think he stands a shot. But it's certainly not doing any favor. Like, he's in the intensive care unit. You know when the nurses rushed over to see if he was okay and they checked on him? He had a full-on boner. It's probably how they took the pulse. <laughs> I was like when when Bert Riddles comes up and he's like, yeah, hey, get off the phone. Like Roscoe Weekle train tells him to fuck off. <laughs> I was like, good, good, good for you. You know what? You're in the hospital. You're wanting to have phone sex with your wife and masturbate in a public forum. You're standing your ground. You're, you're not going to let this asshole tell you another asshole that you can't masturbate in clear view of other people. We then cut scene. And we follow Burt Reynolds to go with his best friend and business partner uh, in some restaurant. Yeah, yeah, so we managed to get a Jewish joke in the first three lines of dialogue in this scene. Impressive. And he tells he, his friend, who is named Marty Lieberman, and he's a <laughs> <laughs> uh, Jewish name. Funny. And he says to his friend, he's going to die in 24 hours. And that, because again, because he's theoretically a hypochondriac or whatever, that is one part of this character that doesn't fit all the asshole parts. He goes to this booth, uh, like he and Marty, like they, they start off at a table and after he announces he's going to kill himself and, and like Marty is like, oh my God, don't do that. And he moves to a different booth. So Marty will follow him. And they, well, no, they, they go from the bar to uh, just a table. And look, I worked in a lot of restaurants. That's not how it works. If you just go from the bar and just walk over and sit on a table, you're an asshole. Also, if you tell one of your closest friends that you're going to die, and then you immediately tell them that you're going to kill yourself rather than a slow death, and, and like you look back and you're like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, that all seems to make sense. Just, okay. So how are you going to kill yourself? Just tell me more about that. Like he doesn't, he doesn't bat an eye. He's like, this seems completely in line with you, a sad, pathetic, self-absorbed, weak, shallow, cowardly man. Uh, yes, I can see all of this coming into focus now because once you're gone, I get the entire business. And I got a couple of questions about the move to the booth. And it's right. when, when Marty says, you know, 
you can't kill yourself, Sonny. You're the sweetest guy I know. A, that's bullshit. B, correct. <laughs> is the girl's look a gay panic joke? I don't know. I don't think it's a gay panic joke. I think that's the look of someone who's worked as a hostess in a restaurant, and she's like, these two fucking assholes just left the bar and walked over and sat down at a table that is clearly designated for that party of four that's waiting to come in. This is going to get uncomfortable. Mark. I need you to come here and transfer a table. Whose section is that? Is that Jenny? Because they just moved over. I don't know who started their tab. Do you remember when his friend eats the the chip out of the the basket and he takes a bite and then he gets and then he throws it back in and Burt Reynolds yells at him for eating in front of him and I was like you know what this makes sense that this is your best friend what kind of a fucking asshole takes a bite out of a corn chip and then like like throws the other half back into the basket I know that there's the whole you know Seinfeld double dip and all that but just think about that a giant chip you bite it in your mouth and you throw it back in you just that's you know what that's unacceptable dickhead i'll tell you a moment of uh, of true joy for me in this scene is when we mm-hmm. get to see uh burt reynolds uh, patented acting style on display where we get the moment where marty lieberman is, says you're gonna die and he's like i'm gonna die i mean dead fucking dead and it's like oh yeah the burt reynolds repetition acting school i love mm-hmm. this it's really funny <laughs> yeah and, and so Marty asks him, like, hey, how are you going to do this? After they give kind of a, like a, a bro five for a second, which seemed weirdly out of place. He says, uh, you know what? I think I'm going to do pills. Like, it's painless. And he says, I'm going to go see Mary Ellen. There is no explanation of who this character is. At this point, we don't know he's married or was married, that he has a kid. None of this. And we're, what, uh, like 20, 25 minutes into this movie. So the the scene ends with Sonny saying, I'm going to go visit Mary Ellen. Again, no explanation of who that is. And he says, look, I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to go to her. I'm going to see her one last time. I'm not going to say a word about my disease. That'll be it. And, and Marty Lieberman, uh, a.k.a. David Steinberg, says, Goodbye, movie. You'll never see me again. Uh, he, he does show up in the asylum later with uh, his Unnecessarily. Wife. Unnecessarily. Unnecessarily. Right. But he he's like, look, it, it's this whole big buildup, this dramatic swell of, you know what? You're a good guy. You're doing the right thing. That's right. I'm not going to say a word about this. I don't want to put that burden on her. And you're like, hey, this seems like a classic comedic setup. Cut to Sally Field wailing uh, as Mary Ellen. Like, you're going to die? Of course, immediately, Burt Reynolds tries to pivot this into fucking <laughs> As Bert is sort of uh, using uh, his death, impending death, as a means to get in her pants, there's one leering shot of her where he's kind of looking down her top a little bit, and she's kind of oiled up, and it's sort of that John Crickfalusi, <laughs> Ren and Stimpy, close-up static shot of something, where you're like, there is way too much weird detail in this shot that doesn't exist in the rest of the movie. If you're going to tell your girlfriend that you're going to die and she's upset and you're upset. And to your point, what does Burt Reynolds do to, to sort of ease this painful moment? He pulls up her dress with his teeth and then immediately puts his big bearded face next to her vagina. And then she rightfully objects. He says, it may be my last meal. Then there is a quick jump cut to a cat meowing and it's like, oh, it's a pussy joke. 
When right. it's just, it's so stupid. It's not funny. I mean, I was trying to think of any anybody I know that would watch it and be like, like, and laugh. It's just jarringly and stupid. Speaking of uh, idiots, so these two decide to fuck, and Bert is apparently getting off by looking at a hula lamp. Prior to them having sex, Sally Field is is weeping like Lucille Ball. I mean, she kind of reluctantly agrees to have sex with him. There's no there's no motion. He's like just laying on top of her. It's like some sort of weird tantric sex that the two of them are having while he like you said while he watches a a hula lamp dance and Sally Fields on the bottom just trying not to make any noise. Yeah, I I don't again, don't understand the purpose of this scene of like okay, so there he's involved with a woman who is a hoarder and a cat person who's unsanitary, who arguably smells. She's really cute. I mean, Sally Field is an adorable woman and a wonderful actress. It's a shame that that all of her talents and natural beauty is being squandered away on a role that that that, that should have been played by some sort of a of, of a troll man. But also, what does it say about his character? You know, because I, I keep looking at this through the 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 shifting sands of who this character of Sonny is that before like the scene before he he's saying like hey i just i'm gonna take some pills i'm gonna go out with some dignity that kind of thing and in this scene he is mechanically fucking his younger girlfriend i don't understand what i don't understand what this scene is doing in this movie she has bras just hanging up randomly in her kitchen i mean who doesn't man but moving on he kind (laughs) of he's talking with with sally field and then they're talking about why she doesn't have orgasms and how that's her fault and he wants her to. But let's be honest, that's his problem. And then Burt Reynolds turns around and he just starts screaming at this cat on top of a refrigerator. And this cat in the movie is truly frightened. Yes. I only thought of two other movies where I've seen a cat this shit scared on film. And it was Cat's Eye and in Pet Cemetery. Where you're just like, re- like you know at the end when they say like no animals were harmed in this film? Bullshit. In all three of these <laughs> movies, these cats were fucked up. I mean, at least psychologically at the very least. But So he shows up in this scene in her robe because, hey, I'm wearing women's clothes. <laughs> if I were going to be dating someone and I went into their house and I walked in and it looked like the people under the stairs... You know, we're, we're tenants. Dude, like, no, this house is disgusting. This is a reflection of who you are. And I'm not saying you got, this has got to be some white glove treatment house. This house is gross. There's a scene in it. I don't know if it's this scene or later where she's washing a dish and you're just like, no, you're not. Do you know what I mean? Like, like you're maybe brushing it off with a dirty sock. You know, just to get the, the to get to the roach shit off of it before you dump out a bag of stale Doritos, you know, to share with your cats. No, you're not. So in this scene, he asks Sally Field, he says, hey, I need the gun. And then he says, you're not joking. And then she says, you're not funny. And Burt Reynolds says, yes, I am. But here's the thing. No, you're not. Yeah. He's genuinely not funny at all. He's not accidentally funny. If you ever find yourself laughing at Burt Reynolds, and I'm going to say in this film, it's because you're either enjoying the, the like the folly of an arrogant asshole who is either one, receiving his comeuppance, or two, he's unaware of how ridiculous he looks while he's just being his natural dumbass self. I would disagree with you because of one moment in this movie. 
where I genuinely think Burt Reynolds makes a joke that lands. We'll get to it. It ain't let here. me know. Let me know when we get there. I, uh, yeah, I, I, it I ain't in this scene. Don't 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 worry. <laughs> don't sweat this one. So he tells uh, Mary Ellen uh, Sally Field that he's going to go see Julie. Again, a character we don't know who the fuck that is because we haven't established shit. Uh, Sally Field starts to sniff out that he's going to hurt himself. Like, this is prior to him asking where the gun is. Mm -hmm. And he says, look, if I was going to kill myself, I would do it so that you would feel guilt and remorse. Dude, what the fuck are you saying? What relationship are you in? Like, I don't understand who she is. Like, what does she even do for a living? She has this home. Uh, maybe she takes in stray cats. Maybe that's the answer to all of these questions. It's head scratching. Like, this is the thing that bothers me so much about the front end of this movie. Like, there's going to be a turn where I kind of get on board with some of this. But the first hour of this film is like, I don't know who these characters are. I don't know how I'm supposed to feel about them. I don't understand what their relationships are to one another. How long has he been in this relation uh, relationship with Sally Field? I don't know any of this. And it drives me crazy. Like, there's no reason to get involved with these characters or this story. Because none of it seems to matter. No, nothing is explained in a way that that is emotionally or narratively satisfying and maybe that is too highbrow a complaint of this film did it, you notice in her house that there's an eight by ten of of burt reynolds on the wall wearing a cowboy hat banded anybody i was <laughs> like you know what what the hell is this yeah just go fuck yourself uh, that's what i thought <laughs> every scene up until the the mental hospital is like a shitty improv scene in an acting class where the teacher is like okay you're dying. Yes. You're the younger girlfriend. Like. Now make magic. And yeah, and it's just terrible. All right, but speaking of terrible, let's get to exhibit, I don't know, where are we, B or C of the most racist shit that happens in this movie? <laughs> you know what? You're right. This is the most racist movie we've reviewed this this season. I apologize. Oh yeah, yeah. This gets this gets real racist real fast. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I accept your apology in advance of our discussion. I apologize to our listeners for the kind of language that is to come at his wife's house. Uh, so we we leave Mary Ellen. He he uh, doesn't get the gun. Um, he says he wants to go see Julie. He goes to his wife's house, Jessica, as played by Joanne Woodward. Like I said in the intro, hey, this is Paul Newman's wife. She's a real deal actress. She's good in this scene. Yeah, and and so he comes there asking for pills, and she just lays into him. She's really giving him the business. There are a couple of references in this movie that are incredibly dated. One of them happens in the opening scene where he's talking to Norman Fell, and they reference the movie Love Story uh, in, in, in reference to his disease. Now, I'm old, and even I was like, oh yeah, Love Story. I, I vaguely remember that movie. Now, this time we get a much more relevant reference here because Jessica, uh, his wife, says Julie, his we find out is Burt Reynolds' daughter is having shark nightmares because he took her to see Jaws. 
I am so put off when movies make references to movies within the movie. For some reason, it draws me out of the experience. Maybe it's just, that's a little weird tick that I have. But more importantly, don't reference a movie that is immeasurably better than the shit film I'm watching right now. Because when you say like that shark movie, I was like, man, I'd really like to be watching Jaws. That's oh. a good movie. Oh, God, you know Robert Shaw's amazing in that movie. You know what's my favorite part of Jaws? I've got three parts. So my first favorite part is I like the scene where the mom comes up and she slaps him. And then there's the scene where they're looking at the scars and then, you know, the scene with him and his son, you're just like, oh my God, like, oh, I missed 30 minutes of this film because I'm thinking about a better fucking movie than this piece of shit you're showing me right now. And it's just a- a- annoying. I, I want to say that bef- before we get really, really racist, I love that he and his ex-wife only talk to each other in screams. <laughs> right. That was really, that, that was very funny to me. And there are a lot of moments in this film that really reminded me of like, uh, like a Neil Simon play or a Neil Simon movie or a TV show based on a Neil Simon play or a Neil Simon movie or a TV show based on another TV show that was based on a play or a movie. There was a joke in it that really made me laugh where his ex-wife screams out, don't wake up Maria, which is, I guess, like their their housekeeper or their maid or something. She's like, don't wake up Maria. And Burt Reynolds says, we fired Maria. And she goes, "That's a, it's another Maria. Yeah, <laughs> but, but we have to ruin this moment because he's like, I'll call Border Patrol or whatever. And you're like, oh, come on, man. It's not Burt Reynolds who delivers a joke. It, it's Joanne Woodward. And like even her delivery is like, you are funny, you are not. Burt Reynolds, you are good as a straight man, and, and other people are funny around you, which that's how he works in a comedy. If you go back to Smokey and the Bandit, he's funny at times when he's paired with Sally Field, and she's being sort of manic and goofy and crazy, and he's raising an eyebrow and chomping his gum and just sort of looking at her. That works well. He's funny, as we'll see later, with Dom DeLuise, you know, where he's sort of raising an eyebrow. And we, we saw this as well in The Best Little Whorehouse in Texas. He's funny as the abbot to other people's Lou Costello. She asks him, she asks him, are you growing a beard? And it's like, he's got a beard, stupid. Yeah. Like, how, is that, how did that make it into the, like, his beard, he's got the a, a beard of, of beards of beard. It's glorious. I don't know. I, I, I've never been able to grow one. I still look at that beard. As much as I hate Burt Reynolds in this movie, mm-hmm. I want that beard so bad. You should get you a Burt Reynolds uh, uh, wig beard and put it on your face. Sort of sort of the Burt Reynolds Merkin to some That's degree. <laughs> do, you remember, do you remember when Burt Reynolds tells his ex... <laughs> Burt Reynolds tells his ex-wife because you know how he's constantly manipulating women not only in this this movie but in every movie we've seen and from what little I've read about his personal life there as well but he's talking to his ex and he was like you don't care about me and then Joan Woodward just goes back no I don't and I was like, yeah. like, like this is great and you know what we're about to find out why she doesn't care about him because this gets disgusting right. it's funky and nasty and the kind of thing that they make vd clinics for so let's continue she tells him that she doesn't care about him after uh he walked out he says you threw me out and she says with two hookers any man that is fucking prostitutes i mean it's not just like like morally reprehensible you can deal with that in your own life or whatever else it's just unhealthy. His attempt at respect in this scene, I suppose, is that he says, we never did it on our bed. How are they even on speaking terms for any wife to come in and catch her husband having sex in their bed with not one, 
but two women who we then later find out are hookers, not prostitutes, hookers. <laughs> like <laughs> the fact that they're what, what, a, what is your divide? What, what's your line in the sand between the two? I'm curious. Business cards. I <laughs> all right. I was going to say street versus office, but all right. Let's talk about this Rolls Royce that drives up. All right. So we have a character that shows up who is uh, Joanne Woodward's lover. He's Hispanic, but let, let's put this all together. He's driving a nice car. He's going to English classes. That's how they met. He doesn't seem like a bad guy. And and when Burt Reynolds is like, look how young he is. <laughs> he is clearly enjoying making her feel terrible. He asks her, where are you going? Man, Taco Bell and a cockfight? And then he asks her... Do you want to say what it or do you... I? I mean, you want to uh, flip a coin? I, I'll, I'll take it on. He asks her, where did you meet this beaner? <laughs> to which she calls him a sexist, racist ass. And guess what? <laughs> She's right. <laughs> she, You know what? I was watching this like Joanne Woodward. I was like, like, I think you and I might be friends. Would you be interested in coming over? And watching Stroker Ace and Sharky's Machine with me and we, give me some running commentary on these films. We have a podcast where you would be very welcome. Yeah. He, pick, pick six movies and Joanne Woodward. <laughs> I'm willing to take the hit on our listenership to bring her on the show. Uh, she, yeah. she's welcome to join us at any time. Oh, and, then the, and then in the scene, so the guy leaves and then because it's the, I don't know, the seventies, I don't know what the hell is going on. She then karate kicks Burt Reynolds into the wall. It's meant to be funny. It isn't. And then Burt Reynolds goes to visit his parents. Cause we're sort of, you know, checking off the list, you know, cause when I, if I was going to be told I'm going to die, you know, I'm going to first go visit my business partner, uh, then my mistress. Then my ex-wife, who divorced me because I was having sex with at least two women a month for the eight years we were married, and two of those were hookers that uh, I slept with in the bed uh, that I used to share with my wife. Now I'm going to go meet mom and dad. Yeah, and he's there to get sleeping pills. That's why he shows up. It's not necessarily because he wants to spend time with them, and that's why he went to you know his his wife's house to begin with his dad's deaf pat o'brien the character actor he's, he's very funny in this actually his mother uh played by myrna loy and they're like hey uh good to see you what's going on i mean it's a real kind of in different hands in a better director's hands the scene would be kind of awkward and weird and and kind of funny and in this scene it just feels kind of uh, disjointed but there's a good moment where his uh mother says you know what i you should stay for a little bit we never talk and then she turns up the tv that that was a funny joke did you know that his dad he's painting you know paint by numbers and he says he likes to paint sad clowns they were out of sad clowns at the store and she had to get him the other one or whatever. Do you think that just reminds him of like his fucked up son? Like I just want to paint my son's sad face again and again. So let me let me think about this. Like if you you know if you went to your parents' house and you're like, Mom, Dad, like I need a lot of sleeping pills, and your parents are just like, Yeah, sure, whatever, go get them. I, I guess maybe if they don't think about it, you know, that there could be some some negative implication there. Just you know, I need a good snooze, but they fork over the. Uh, the, the sleeping pills. You know, I thought about that if he did kill himself with them, these pills, you know, would they feel any sense of guilt 
you know, for, for being sort of the, the catalyst for their son's death. I, I don't know. Look at their, their, their relationship marriage. Like, maybe there's this weird tone when he says goodbye and his parents are fighting and screaming at each other, which again, is this meant to be funny because it's more tragic? And then there's this moment where he comes, he's getting ready to leave and he comes back and he kisses his mom a second time. You know, she notices that he came back again and it, it feels like it should be, almost at the end of the movie or yeah, just something like that, because there are moments, not only this scene with the parents and a scene we're going to talk about a minute with his daughter, where, you know, if you were really facing your, your death of being able to say goodbye to your loved ones in a situation where they don't know you're going to die. So we never see his parents again. They're gone. Yeah. yeah, I mean, who cares? So we go, we go meet his daughter. Yeah. Uh, Let's just Christy McNichol. Welcome to the movie, Christy. Um, and she's a door. She's a, she, you know, you talked about her in the opening again for, for people that grew up in the seventies and eighties, Christy McNichol was imagine Lindsay Lohan, but not all fucked up and weird and crazy. Right. She like was if she a, had stayed on the straight and narrow, right. She was adorable. She was charming. She was sweet. She was everywhere. You saw her like in movies on TV. She had just this, this you know, just delightful smile. And you said, I was like, this is great. And in this movie, she's really, really charming until Burt yeah. Reynolds shows up and fucks everything up. Yeah. She's legitimately a good kid actor. He picks her up at a dance class. Right. Like she's and then doing he a race. The teacher because all the, the girls are dressed too sexily. And it's like, no, you're just, a, you're just a pervert, man. Yeah. They're just <laughs> in leotards. Like, it's not like it's even a leotard where there are no, I don't know. What do you call the bottom part? The hose or whatever? Like, it's just, it, it's like a moment chance outfit or something. Like she was and, doing mime work. And he's like, how are you going to let him dress like this? And uh, he was like, I, you know, I shouldn't pay for this. And, and she's like, well, you're not. You're a deadbeat dad. You haven't paid mm-hmm. for any of these dance classes. And now you're trying to slut shame your daughter. You know, I'm not, you're right. Uh, should save that for, uh, for my, uh, my girlfriend or uh, my hookers. <laughs> yeah, like this whole scene, like, and the one to follow is all about him just being the shittiest father ever. <laughs> He's an absent parent, and he he takes her to like either a mini golf course or an amusement park. It's never yeah, it's miniature golf. Explained. Yeah, because well, she says, "Hey, uh, I I don't like miniature golf," and he's like, "You love miniature golf," and she's like, "Yeah, the last time we came, that was six years ago." I can't believe he forgot that. <laughs> it's. It's awful. Then he sits her down to have this heart to heart about like the birds and the bees. And and again, she's real charming in this scene where he's like, we need to talk about sex. And she's like, I, you know, what do you need to know? I'm, I'm top of my class in sex education. Then he looks her in the eye and basically says, look, all men are like me and all they want to do is fuck you. He says, all men are rotten, filthy beasts who want to get you in the sack and jump your bones and then dump on you. And the question I have for you is, does he have a like a poop fetish? <laughs> this this was one of the few lines he changed in the script, I think. Um, if he does have a poop fetish, do you think that that might be a reason why he's with Sally Field and all those cats? Because let's be honest, man, those litter boxes, they're more shit than, than sand. Burt Reynolds tells his daughter that he has to go away. And then it's kind of this like quick shift. He's, he starts berating his daughter for wearing the dance outfit and says that scene. And then he speeds away to their house. And then the two of them are parked in the driveway. And there's this really awkward tone, which I actually enjoyed this scene quite a bit. It's really well done accidentally by Burt Reynolds and purposefully by his daughter. 
again, he's a fucking drama queen in this scene because he's like, yeah, I'm going away. And she's like, well, where are you going? And he does everything but tell her he's going to kill himself. He says, don't be mad with me in the future. And then she straight up calls him out on this bullshit because she knows something's up. She wants to say, she, you know, she wants to make sure that he's taking care of him. She she asks him, you know, what's wrong? And he's not he's not reassuring. He's he's angry. He's short with her. And one thing that's a really good line in this is that, you know, she makes him swear to God that he's not going to go to the hospital because this asshole wouldn't lie to God. But there's this really good line where she says, you know, cross your heart and hope to die. And he says, hope to die. And yeah. it, and the line works, you know, it's yeah. kind of to what I was talking about earlier of all the shitty things Burt Reynolds does in this movie when he says it and he's talking to his daughter and he knows he's going to die and he says, I hope to die and I'm going to take my own life. It works in this movie. It also happens on the same scene when they're making up with each other. It looks like he kisses her on the mouth and maybe it's just my family dynamic because, you know, most of my childhood was all just like judgmental looks but I still think it's weird for a father to kiss his daughter on the mouth. Do you think it's weird when people kiss their dogs on the mouth? Less so, strangely. <laughs> so I think, both of them, I think both of them are gross. You should be kissing children on the mouth and dogs on the mouth. What are you well, doing? especially, like, it's not... It's not a, a, a four or five year old. Like, kissing on the mouth, I, I kind of give that a pass because they're adorable little baby kids. But when your daughter is like 16 and 17 talking to you about sex education and whatnot, kissing on the mouth has a different vibe, man. Wearing her sexy dance costume. Right, where you're like, look, I was already looking at your ass the entire time. I, hard for me to concentrate <laughs> with you looking all sexy being my daughter. Again, it's Donald I... fucking Trump. It's Ivanka. <laughs> So the two of them um, hug and she leaves and he he cries quietly to himself watching his daughter walk away, presumably the last time he's ever going to see her. And then let's let's get this show on the road. Burt Reynolds yep. is in his house. He's ready to die. He has lit way too many candles. And then he starts to sort of reminisce about his life and he's looking at photos of himself in i don't know some sort of a album or a baby book and there's only there's only two pictures that he notices one of them it's him as a baby and he's naked and he's like you know man what an ass i had <laughs> right. and then the next one's a it's a photo of him like playing football and he's like man he's like i could have been an all-american and then he's like well time to go night night i had a great ass i could have been a great football player I don't know. I'm doing like a terrible Elvis impersonation, which sound like more like this. Like, like had a great ass. Could have been a great football player. Well, time to uh, go to Sleepy Town. So he he has a cup full of pills that he pours out. And why does he pour them out? That doesn't make any sense. If you have a big cup of pills, here's how you do it: you dump them in your mouth. You take a giant bottle of vodka or whiskey and you glug 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 until you can't glug more then you glug some more and then you're dead that's it that's how that's how the game's played let me say not not saying i speak from any sort of experience but if you were going to kill yourself you make a scene of it right like you're pouring them out on the table you're noticing the colors maybe you arrange them into some shapes first this is the last thing you're ever gonna fucking do you might as well treat it with uh, a little bit of care. Look, you have an audience of one. That's you, all right? Just knock it out. But he says, this is the coward's way out. Sure. Of course, that's why I picked it. I have no reason to like this character. Right, like he takes the mouthful of pills, like takes a big handful of them, and then grabs uh, like a half gallon of milk, drinking straight from the half gal, 
Respect that move. Yeah, he lives alone. He can pull that off. Sure. Then uh, it, it turns out it's rancid. He he kind of spews out the rancid milk and and pills all over the glass table. Do you remember what he yells out when he, after he drinks the milk and spits it out? He yells out shit, fuck, and caca. How is this PG? That is a real head scratcher. Uh, not just for the language, but just everything about it. <laughs> like, like <laughs> you should make it X. The fewer people that can see it, <laughs> the better. Yeah. So he finds a vodka, which seemed like the logical choice all along. Like, if you're taking pills, you wash right. it down with some booze, because that's greasing the rails. And, and he starts chomping on potato chips, and he's like, oh... Can he just one? Right, like at this point, he get it, it's like movie drunk where he takes two drinks and he's starting to get all. <laughs> and so he picks up the phone and calls a helpline. He sees it in like a, a newspaper, uh, like a suicide hotline. Yeah, it was all like an ad in a magazine or some shit. And yeah, and he calls the line and he, it's a recording that's like. Hey, don't do anything rash. Wait for just a second and somebody's going to be here to talk to you. And he behaves as if he doesn't understand how recorded voices work. He keeps talking and he's such a dummy. And at the end of it, he calls the recording a twat. Again, (laughs) it's not the worst thing that happened in this movie. I mean, it's terrible. He's an awful person, but I like the word. So after the vodka, after the vodka's gone, he's surrounded by the photos of all the people that he went to visit and all these candles. I just want to pause it for a moment. Did everything that we discuss happen in one day? Like, yeah, like a doctor's office, funeral, church, hospital, uh, Sally Fields house, ex-wife house, parents, daughter he goes home to commit suicide i mean look i gotta think that's a full day (laughs) and as a film viewer the fact that it's taken almost an hour to get here feels like a full goddamn day too and then he he says he forgot to write a note you know why because he's a self-centered asshole (laughs) i'll tell you all right before we get to the note thing, here's what, the two moments I genuinely like in this movie. Here, Here is the one joke that I think is an intentional joke from Burt Reynolds that made me laugh in this film. And it's when he sits down to kind of recollect all his pills and shake out uh, all the rancid milk and whatnot. And he gets them in his hand and he starts to throw them back and reaches for the milk again. And kind of under his breath, he goes, oh, no, and puts it aside. (laughs) It made me laugh. I think it's a good joke. See, when that happened for me, I didn't think that that was a joke. I think that was just him making a mistake of like, oh, no, I shouldn't. Maybe I'm giving it too much credit. But so he he chases those pills down with vodka and he kind of kicks back on on his sofa. And there's this moment, again, like a really nice, poignant little moment that would be great in a different movie. Where he says, I never even had my own dog. And it's like, oh, yeah. that I mean, one of those regrets of life. Like, as you're coming to the end, a very simple little thing that that defines so many other people. In this scene where he's laying there on the couch and he's taking the pills. And it's like, you know, that moment where you've passed the point of no return. This is the end. He's going to die. And we get probably the best <laughs> of the movie. Here's a little secret tip for everybody is that when I watch these movies, I always have the subtitles on because there are always hidden gems that you're not going to pick up on. And when he goes, 
the subtitles referred to this as sobbing, which made me <laughs> yeah. think we we may have been misinterpreting his signature laugh for six films. This has basically just been a cry for help that every time this 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 bizarre affect spurted out of the, the mouth of one Mr. Burt Reynolds, it was like a, a release valve for all of the emotional pain that has built up inside him over all these many years. And I was I was on the same page because I do the same thing. I, I One of the viewings I do of the movie has subtitles on. And I remember noting like, oh, that they call that sobbing? And it, it had turned me around for a second. I was where you are until later in the movie where the same sound is called a chortle. And a chortle is a far cry from a sob, sir. And I think that is closer to the truth. I'm going to write a strongly worded letter to the subtitle people. Tell me to get their shit together. Dear subtitle people, is that how that begins? Yeah. I, I, he says he's going to write a note. He decides to write one to his daughter because she's the most responsible of the bunch. And we can all agree on that. And then he just kind of lays down. And then we, I, what you should do is fade to black, but we don't. There's a hard cut to the next scene. And let me just say right now, much like Stanley Kubrick's full metal jacket, you know, when Pyle commits suicide, we come back and our main character is in a wholly different movie. The whole first half of this is this, this one thing. And then we cut to this and we are in a mental institution. This is two separate films slapped together that just by some weird twist of fate has the same protagonist in both of them. It's the from dusk till dawn of suicide films, certainly. And then, you know, Burt Reynolds is in a mental institution. And when he wakes up, the first words out of his mouth are, goddamn son of a bitch. Which is how I think most of us wake up in the morning when we when we, we rise from our slumber. And we get introduced to the best character in this whole film. Please, Mr. Ransdell, take it away. Dom DeLuise, ladies and gentlemen, the, the topic of our introduction uh, makes his appearance in this film uh, as Marlon. Initially, uh, who we perceive as a doctor, potentially. Because when Reynolds wakes up and, and gives the, you know, goddamn shit, son of a bitch, uh, he's like... That's so interesting. Like 92% of people, when they wake up, uh, use some kind of expletive after a suicide attempt. Then we are just treated to what I like to describe as a Deloise tour de force, where we get the immediate revelation that he's not a doctor. Because he it, like he's wearing a, a, a suit jacket, and when he stands up, we realize he has no pants. And then hikes one leg up on the chair <laughs> to show off his balls a little bit, which is really I... funny. <laughs> there, there is actually a YouTube clip of only this scene. And I would recommend very much watching that. We will post that on our website. Please go there and watch it. If, if that exists, it will be there. The meat of what dom deloise conveys to sonny in this scene is that <laughs> his father he's polish i'm gonna give two caveats here and and none of them are an exception for me or you but the term <laughs> and i put in air quotes beaner is acceptable in one and one only scenario I can think of. And that is the Cheech and Chong Sergeant Stadinko sketch, where it is used, I would say, devastatingly. The other one <laughs> is the term Pollock. 
And that is used by Dom DeLuise in this scene. And I think that's the only <laughs> appropriate time. And I feel terrible for using both words. In this movie, there is a there is a string of what is known as Pollock jokes. For for those who don't know what a Pollock joke is, it's essentially an, like an ethnic joke that is intended to mock Polish people, and and probably an equivalent today would be like a dumb blonde joke, you know, right? If, right. Like, the term Pollock is just in and of itself offensive. Yes, and and the reason I give Dom DeLuise the pass in this is because it is used really just one time in this scene when he reveals. That his father was the one who told him all these Polish jokes all his life. Does that make it okay? That's like saying, you know, I've got this racist friend who said this thing. <laughs> like, <laughs> no, like, it, it doesn't you're make really it. You're really talking about yourself, you racist jackass. Like, all these Polish jokes, they're totally tasteless, but they're funny in Dom DeLuise's mouth. They're stupid. They're, they're stupid. I mean, again, are they offensive? Yes. You know, kind of, sort of. But again, I think you're, you're spot on. The way Dom DeLuise sells them it's almost like it pains him to say them out loud yeah. because you know they're they're so hateful and harmful to him but at the same time there's kind of like this the joke is like he's trying to keep it in his mouth and it it, it escapes despite his his protest i also say like, the there was a line that i laughed out loud at where he's talking about his dad and he's like i remember my dad he's like he was sitting in his in his favorite sweaty undershirt, drinking beer, eating chili with his fingers and watching celebrity bowling. And it, what it was, it was the chili fingers that made me laugh. Yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> he, cause he falls it up with saying like, we were having a perfectly wonderful time. <laughs> like all of that was great. <laughs> and it's not even a joke. I mean, I just, there's just an assumption that this was an accurate description of his dad. <laughs> like that's what, that's what it was. And this was a good night. Let me ask you a question. You said you watched this with, with uh, subtitles on when, you know, Dom DeLuise is so manic. He's all over the place. And then Burt Reynolds has to get up to pee. And when he gets up to pee, he walks to the bathroom and then he says nine. Did you catch that? Because I was like, is that German? No, like, I know, think it's it, the pain. It's it, he's rating his pain. Thank you, because I, I made a I wrote in my notes. I was like, is he saying something German? Is this relating to the Polish remarks? Is there something going on? But that that makes a hell of a lot more sense. Burt yeah, Reynolds Bert. goes in the bathroom, right? Because he doesn't want to pee in the uh, like the bedpan. And there's a great line where Dom DeLuise is like, "Boy, you sure got a lot of rules about peeing," and because he's like, <laughs> you know. I can't uh, pee with the nurse around, and, and I can't pee with the door open. And so he closes the door, and Dom DeLuise goes up to it, and he does this great bit where he kind of tries to knock on it, and then just wipes the knock away. Again, just a, an amazing comedic performance from him in, in this scene. Burt Reynolds busts out of the room, and he's like, hey, there's no mirrors. How am I going to, how am I going to, there's nothing sharp. I can't kill myself with anything. And he's like, there's not even a mirror. How am I going to look at myself? And I'm like, you fucking narcissistic asshole. <laughs> That just you know, ended with, I can't earth. kill myself with this stuff. That's all we need. The movie this should have been is your first act is the first hour of this movie. Then you get to the hospital and the whole rest of the movie is Dom DeLuise trying to kill Burt Reynolds. The movie should have started with Burt Reynolds opening his eyes. I don't need to hear goddamn son of a bitch yeah. opening his eyes in the insane asylum. 
with Dom DeLuise beside him showing his balls and that he's, you know, that he's not a doctor. And then if you want to do some sort of either flashback or instead of having him go to visit all of his family, have them come to visit him. And throughout the course of this movie, Dom DeLuise is trying to help him slash kill him. And he figures out that he should not, you know, he doesn't want to commit suicide. He wants to live. That's the movie that this should have been. It shouldn't have been all this, this somber, unfunny, self-aggrandizing that we got for 60 plus minutes in this film until we got to a point where here's a character that we genuinely enjoy. Yeah, and their relationship with each other is interesting. But anyway, all right, so that I'm, I'm glad to know that you've been thinking about this too. So Way too much. Way too much. So, <laughs> He, uh, the, the, the scene ends, because otherwise we'll just obsess about how good Dom DeLuise is in this moment, with the orderly showing up, and we realize that Dom DeLuise has escaped, and they've got to take him back to his cell because he murdered his father ultimately. That's a detail we left out. And that if uh, Burt Reynolds really wanted to kill himself... He could do so because they have these electrical beds and he could put his head in the, you know, cherry picker kind of mechanism. It would crush his skull. Then we cut to the hallway of the hospital after they sort of set up. This is how you could kill yourself. The hallway of this insane asylum looks like the backstage at the Muppet show. There are people running around. They are twirling. They're barking. They're making chicken noises. And as I watched this, I thought... Who told them to do this? And I was like, oh yeah, Burt Reynolds did. <laughs> I mean, like, as a director, like, like, hey, all right, everybody, um, did you go over here? Uh, you and the straight jackets, just, uh, how about you just spin around a little bit? <laughs> Fisher pants make, uh, chicken noises and pig noises and, uh, just be back like the Muppets. We're gonna be doing this, we're gonna do this in one take. Because I got a dinner reservation at 4.15, and I got a couple of hookers uh, waiting in my uh, ex-wife's house, uh, so let's make things happen. This isn't what I think a, a real mental institution looks like. Not that it, in a comedy you want it to look that way, but it's just goofy. As his ex-wife, who divorced him because he had sex with prostitutes, and his business partner, who doesn't really give a shit that his you know buddy is going to commit suicide, come rolling in to check and see if he's all right. Ironically, still the most sensitive portrait of mental illness to that time. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> now, you know, you had you had uh, a cuckoo's nest, right? <laughs> Jessica Bert's wife shows up with his best friend slash lawyer Marty. And they and find him trying to crush his head with the bed, which is, again, a kind of a good joke. Like, it, we set it up in the earlier scene. Now we're paying it off. And Bert starts bitching to Marty and Jessica about how he, he doesn't want to grow old and withered and yellow. And I quote, like an oh. old Jap. Now, another word I'm uncomfortable using as someone who has a podcast about Asian horror cinema as someone who finds the entire culture of Japan interesting that is obsessed with the film of that country that is a horribly offensive term evidence uh this would be what exhibit d as this is the most racist burt reynolds movie we will cover i just want to say i was looking at my my uh burt reynolds racist bingo card and um i have jap I have Beaner, I have Pollock, and I've got my free space. And I've got one more in the corner that if uh, if uh, we can make this happen, I'm calling bingo. 
So he convinces, like, he's like, hey, Marty, how about you stay in the hallway with all these crazy people and let me get my ex-wife into this room alone with me? And hand to God, I thought he was going to try to rape her. It, it surprised me that he rape her. did. You know, e- even in this moment, and again, I go back to where, because here's the thing. As much as, as we've kind of bitched about Burt Reynolds being an asshole, which I really believe in my heart that he is. I still think that Burt Reynolds is an absolute movie star. And I think there, there are, there's work that he has done that is really, really good. And this, in this scene, again, despite himself, there is a, a sense of self-awareness and sadness and humanity. And if you could kind of strip away all the stupidness of having sex with hookers and beds and whatever else, you know, that this is kind of his ex-wife. They have a child together, the two of them in this room, and he's clearly a troubled man. And again, I'm really giving this way too much credit, but I just sort of envisioned, you know, what this would be like for this person that is dealing with some really heavy stuff. You know, the two of them are there. He asks her, you know, that he wants her to sign this release to get him out of the hospital. And then again, they still scream and and, and yell at one another. And then he calls, <laughs> he calls his uh, ex-wife a selfish bitch. And then he's like, you know, I'm just trying to be nice. And, and again, there could have been a sense of connection and humanity, but he's constantly trying to manipulate women, not only in this movie, every movie we've seen, but the thing of it is, is that his ex-wife knows that he's just a manipulative dickhead. And then he tells his wife that he would let her kill herself if she was in a lot of pain. And there's this kind of awkward tone and he starts crying and he takes it back. The point is that the movie is, is lacked in focus and it's just, it's just, it's just a shitty film. That's what it is. I can't make sense of this. All right. Well, so let's just move to the God next damn son scene. of a bitch. <laughs> like, you know, you'd be really surprised how many people see a shitty movie. And those are the first words that come out of their mouth when they're trying to explain it. These are my balls. <laughs> 87% of people vomit at the end of this film. It's so weird. Let's cut to another scene that doesn't necessarily fit. It's just another thing that happens. But at least there's a funny guy in it. A very funny guy. One of the greats, I would argue. The Carl Reiner scene where he plays Dr. Manit, who is a psychologist who is trying to get Bert to come to this, like, you know, terminal patient support group kind of thing. And, you know, Burt Reynolds is just like, nah, I don't want to go. That sounds terrible. <laughs> and Carl Reiner reveals that he himself is a a dying man, that he, he has a serious heart condition and that, you know, he lives with death every day and that he still embraces life. Burt is just not having none of it. He's like, you know, I want to kill myself. I get a heart on when I kill myself, he says. You said that like that's a weird thing. The erection part when when you're trying to commit suicide. Oh, uh, is that your thing? Because usually when I do it, I have to see someone getting killed. And that's what gets me off. Sexuality is weird. <laughs> it's a spectrum. So... Manit, uh, Carl Reiner says, hey, if you really wanted to kill yourself, why did you start your suicide letter with an apology to your daughter? Which is a fair point. And Bert flips out and he says, I I just don't want to hurt. I don't like pain. It hurts me. Which is a clear reference to a line from Daffy Duck, which I found personally offensive. How dare you, sir? How dare you? Right. I know Daffy Duck, sir. 
<laughs> I have watched Daffy Duck for decades, sir, and you are no Daffy Duck. So when he's talking to this doctor, Burt Reynolds, he sits on a leather chair. And I just want to point out, he sits with his ass on the like the back of the chair. So his feet are where, where your ass goes. His ass is where your head goes. It's the most asshole way of sitting on a chair, period, let alone like a leather chair. And then Dr. Carl Reiner tells him, I, he tells him he wants him to read a pamphlet. And then these pamphlets are up on a high shelf. Dr. Carl Reiner jumps up to get the pamphlet off the shelf. He exerts himself somewhat, and then he dies from a heart attack. Have I left any detail out there? No, I I just want to point out that literally as I look at my notes, one of them is he even sits like an asshole. I'm just glad we're on the same page there. I'm willing to take the stand right now that the only time it is appropriate to sit in this fashion is if you were convincing teens to get off drugs. Or if there's a flood. Or it maybe if there's a mouse and you're an elephant. <laughs> you know what? We've got the three use cases, and in this situation, he's none of them. Right, right. So, yeah, Carl Reiner, like, he, he gets, a, a, after jumping for the pamphlet, he has a heart attack and you know, lays out, and as the uh, secretary rushes in and, and whatnot, someone asks him, like, what happened? And Bert says, I liked him. Which, again, is like, I see where that line would work. And it's just not here. This is the second person that he's killed. I'm just, again, checking my bingo card. He He killed a masturbating pacemaker patient. I have that on my card. And then he kills doctor with heart condition now those are vertical i still don't have a bingo but those have both been checked off as well we then cut to a scene where burt reynolds is sitting on is it that he's sitting on a bench yeah he he's out on the the grounds of the hospital and finally dom de yeah. pops back in which it seemed like forever since he was here and he's just like oh my god he's like i you know i can't believe that i found you this is crazy you know it's you and me we're best friends you know, I can I can help you commit suicide. And he was like, there's only one place on this whole property, the tower, where they don't have bars that, you know, that are over all the windows, which, again, doesn't make any sense. That's the number one place they're putting bars in, in a nut house. Doesn't look and like Burt a Reynolds great place. Don- it's one of them 60 minutes hospitals. They don't worry about too much. Right. Right. Well, this is the 70s. This was back when you had had lawn darts and, and you could, you know, and like edible firecrackers. And Burt Reynolds and Dom Deluise, they go to this tower and they do this bit where, where Burt Reynolds wants to jump to his death. There's a lot of improvisation between Dom DeLuise and Burt Reynolds about whether the, the fall would be high enough. A lot of what I would call failed attempts at physical comedy. Burt Reynolds slaps Dom DeLuise in this scene, which I got to tell you, you, you can't be slapping people like that. It, and it, again, it hurts my heart a little bit because I, I it, love Dom. He's murdered two people. He's caused a car accident. This is now multiple counts of battery. In this scene, Dom DeLuise kisses Burt Reynolds. So let's throw in a little dash of 1970s homophobia. And then to kind of wrap up the scene, Dom DeLuise ends up accidentally falling out of the tower, but he doesn't die because it's not high enough. And it pays off and it's like, okay, but but it's it's almost like a, a like a the, the police academy movie. Here's a situation 
Let's let the character spin around and then we'll have a little. That's what the movie ought to be. It should be going back to Mel Brooks. It should be kind of high anxiety of let's do these weird little set piece comedy scenes. And it's all about like hanging on the premise of this dude is trying to help one guy commit suicide who no longer wants to. Or maybe he does, and he's trying to figure out, do I want to live or not? That's the movie. All that bullshit that we talked about for the first hour plus of this this episode. (laughs) Right, forget all that. (laughs) Yeah, forget all that. This is what the movie should have been, and it's it's not. And even in the next scene, Dom DeLuise shows up because here's our next, you know, kind of premise – he shows up, and this is this was actually a pretty funny scene. <laughs> the 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 line uh, he shows up with a gift box. Not to step on you there, but no. he shows up with a gift box for Bert, and he's like, "I hope you like the color." And it it's really funny. And like Bert Reynolds opens the box, and it's a noose, uh, <laughs> and like a length length of rope. Uh, which it's funny. It, that is a joke that can be used. Over and over again. If you need a joke, take that joke, put it in your hip pocket, and whenever you give anyone anything, a report, a pen, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like anything. Right. Like, I, I hope I hope you like the Some, color. Anything where the color doesn't matter. But again, let's sort of tie this back to reality. So we've got these two, you know, wackadoos in a, in a mental hospital. One, where did he get the rope or where did he get the noose? I'm assuming he tied it himself. Burt Reynolds gets on the shoulders of Dom DeLuise and puts the noose around his neck. How can this be happening in the in the wide open? This is clearly an attempted suicide. Like, I don't know if it's either understaffed, poorly staffed, or... Or just like like straight up negligence that they would allow someone to be able to, to, to sort of hang themselves in, in, in the wide open. Because in the background, there's like 30 extras wandering around slapping each other with, you know, wet towels and, 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 and fish, and, you know, masturbating on each other. Right. I mean, just like, like doing whatever I assume that people do in mental hospitals. And, um, you know, the, the, the attempt fails. Somewhat importantly, I think, after the failure is uh, like Dom DeLuise is hanging him by acting as the horse where he's holding on to the rope around Burt Reynolds' neck and he's going to step out from under him, but he can't really hold him up. And then Burt <laughs> Reynolds starts strangling him, which again, it, like this is a pretty funny scene. At the end of it, Burt Reynolds is pissed off. He's like, I was almost dead. You should have, you shouldn't have given up teaching Marlon, Dom DeLuise, the lesson, like, don't, no matter what I say, it's it's Gene Wilder from Young Frankenstein. No matter how much I beg, no matter what I do, no matter how much I plead with you, do not stop killing me. Does Burt Reynolds really want to kill himself? Maybe that's sort of the, the heart of the movie. But I never got a, a clear sense of, I, I, I really want to die. Right. And all of these attempts fail. Because the whole thing is like, I'm a coward. I don't, I'm not really fully committed to this. So when this scene happened, he's slapping him around. I'm like, do you really want to take your own life? Or are you just this confused, conflicted individual? Yeah. And I mean, that's the essential flaw of the movie, right? Like, that's the reason that none of it works is that you don't understand this character's motivation ever. You don't know if he really wants to die, if he kind of wants to die but is too much of a coward to go through with it, or if it's just him being a drama queen, my current theory. Let's pause because I have Exhibit E 
All right, in my most it. racist film ever uh, from Burt Reynolds' uh, case, where he's stealing a truck from a Japanese gardener. And when we see him show up, we hear a little bit of like, da 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 and you're like, fucking classy. Well done, the end, as ever. <laughs> right. It Yeah, it, it might as well have been a gong. Bert goes for this guy's truck, and when Marlon gives chase, he runs over the gardener, who does a whole, like, and you're like, god damn it, the end. Can you give it just a break for a second? Why did he even have to be Asian? <laughs> there was nothing about this at all. That needed to bring in any sort of like ethnicity related to this gardener. None of that. Hey, you know what's funny? Japanese people. <laughs> he said he didn't want to die like a yellow jab. Right. It's I don't know. So Burt Reynolds steals the the truck of the the gardener, and then Dom DeLuise is in the bed of the truck. It, you know, Burt drives like like recklessly through the hospital grounds, and he ends up crashing through and sort of like dumping. I guess what I would be like an elderly man from a wheelchair into a river. I got to tell you, in my view of this movie that man died so there's we've got two murders here's vehicular homicide we got multiple counts of battery i mean there's there's a lot of crimes that are being attached to our hero sonny we have a a moment where when he's driving the truck there's a no good reason ramp in the middle of nothing i was like well well who is the the stunt coordinator for this film excuse me why is there a stunt coordinator for this film? <laughs> right, for a movie about a guy trying to commit suicide. Maybe the scene in the tower. But because we had a truck unnecessarily flying through the air, we got Hal Needham. I mean, fresh off of Smokey and the Bandit, he went from directors to stunt coordinator on the end. I expected to go into like like IMDB and under like the 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 trivia or fun facts that it's like the stunt coordinator is listed as johnny paycheck i'm sure that the imdb trivia on this movie is more hey almost the entire cast had syphilis so burt reynolds is driving this truck through the hospital grounds and then he goes head to head with this little old lady learning to drive yeah it's real looney tunes which we only get touches of including the ending which we'll get to where it's like i again feels out of place i don't know what the tone of this movie is nor does the director. Burt Reynolds goes back to Sally Field's uh, disgusting house of horrors. <clears throat> Your Honor, <laughs> if I may, Exhibit F. Uh, there is, for some reason, a VW bug parked in presumably Sally Field's car in her driveway that, for some reason, has a very stereotypical kamikaze pilot painted on the side of it. Like... You know, now that you say that, I think I remember it, and I just sort of looked at it, and I was like, "That's weird." I, I don't, I don't even know how to explain that away. Again, I think again, having no fact checking on this at all, uh, Burt Reynolds' father, a POW in Japan. Uh, you know what? I'm going to go with that. I like rumors, yeah, but, but you know, it's nice to have like ambient racism in a movie <laughs> where it's not like we're not even front and centering this. We just like it lingering in the, in the backdrops. Paint some swastikas around, just to... right. There's a like a poster of Hitler in Sally Field's bedroom, and you're like, nobody comments on it. It's just there. 
Uh, but so Sonny busts in and he's he's looking for the gun. And there's a whole deal where Mary Ellen is like, you're never going to find it. I hid it in a place you'll never know. And he goes, aha, found it where I thought, under the cat crap. Yes, she lives like an animal. But also, do we have to just make her feel terrible about everything? She says she's going to call the police. And so Sonny threatens to shoot himself and says, I'll blow my brains right out all over your walls, although no one would notice. Nope. <laughs> no, they wouldn't. I make him look better. And then he tells her to take off his pants. Here we go. She's... He manipulates people to do everything. He, everybody, he doesn't do anything for himself. Give me your pills. You know, take off my pants. I want you to get me a noose. Help me hang myself. He, he's the most pathetically sad, incapable character of doing jack shit for himself that i've seen in 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 a, in a long damn time he's just worthless you know there was a review of this movie where the critic said that in this movie burt reynolds deconstructs the persona of burt reynolds which i thought was a little too highfalutin i think it's just burt reynolds being burt reynolds look if, if we're gonna go toe-to-toe for reviews i read a review that said it is rare when you can find a movie that shows the true soul of a filmmaker. And in the case of Burt Reynolds, he's a douchebag. <laughs> like, I don't think you're deconstructing anything. I think if anything, you're connecting the dots where at the end of the day, you're like, hold on. Well, look at that. It's an asshole in the shape of Burt Reynolds. <laughs> well, so he's telling her. As she's taken off his pants, you just never love me. And she's like, you're right. I like, I never loved you enough. And maybe I, because I didn't love you enough, you got this disease. And he's like, well, maybe, you know, if you'd done certain things. If you'd had an orgasm, I wouldn't be dying. There are maybe like half a dozen moments in this movie that are genuinely funny. And one of them happens right now when she's sort of like, like undressing and redressing him. There's a scene where she's taking his shirt off and he has the gun to his head. And for him to put his arm in the sleeve, she has to hold the gun while yes. he does it. It is a genuinely funny moment. It is a moment out of Marx Brothers. But because it's directed by Burt Reynolds, she does it once and it's funny. When you do it a second time, it doesn't work. The second time you do it, the, the humor isn't compounded. In fact, it's, it's decreased by 90%. It makes the first time less funny and there's absence of humor the second time you do it. Um, do you see the thing where she had the gun? <laughs> yeah, do that again. If it's funny once, it's funny again. <laughs> right. Stupid ass. Real quick, let me just say, she's changing him into a new tracksuit, which is something I wish I had lived in the age of and or had the physique for, uh, because I think tracksuits look super comfortable. She's changing him into uh, the, the this tracksuit, he is asking essentially for permission to kill himself. And she says, yeah, she says, yes, right. He is ecstatic. And she says, look, I got to tell you something though. The gun that I hid from you, it's not loaded. And he, and he's like, what, what are you doing? And then like points it into a random direction and pulls the trigger. It shoots a stovepipe, which explodes like a prop from the movie Annie or something where soot is going <laughs> everywhere. And he's like, yeah, I kill myself, but who noticed in this place? 
we get a brief glimpse of Marlon, who, after he hears the gunshot, is kind of overjoyed. Like, his friend has killed himself. Like, uh, he did what he set out to do. Dom DeLuise doesn't seem to be a stranger to hiding in the bushes outside a woman's house. I mean, he, he's just like, it seems like his, his natural habitat. Either that or an insane asylum or standing over his father plunging, you know, a, a railroad spike into his chest over and over again as his dad's fingers rest casually in a bowl of chili. Yeah, well, you know, Burt Reynolds, like when they're doing the whole tower scene, is like, you don't want to do this, Marlon, you'll be a murderer. And he's like, what are you talking about? I am a murderer. So Burt Reynolds leaves Sally Field's house and Dom DeLuise wants to follow, but the old lady's car is how he got there. And there's like a, there's a flat tire. So, so Burt Reynolds, he then drives to a beach and then, I mean, this is like rapid fire. He then slides down a hill and just swims out into the ocean. And there's this, there's a shot where the gun that he's taken from her house, which we just showed you is highly important is not. And it's just left on the front seat of the car. And the camera kind of zooms in like, see this? It's a gun. Remember it's a he real, got the real gun. gun. Remember? Remember this? We cut to Burt Reynolds. And then this is where I was like, I just wanted to kick my television. Because it starts playing Frank Sinatra's My Way. I can't tell if that was played out when this movie was made. I just don't have that context. But it certainly yeah, is I, now. And when you hear it, you're just like, oh, God, really? You know what? We'll cut him some slack and say that it's not. Because this movie has so much going against it, I don't want to pile on. So, so, <laughs> so, we'll, so we'll give you the my way pass. Burt Reynolds starts just swimming out in the ocean, which I was like, you know, that's an interesting way to kill yourself. Just swim into the ocean until you can't swim anymore. And then you're just going to drown. Like, And he, he gets out in the ocean and then he tells God... Like, like, I'll see you soon, you know, because they're buddies. And he just goes underwater. And at this point, he hears this, like, imagined conversation between his ex-wife and his daughter about his daughter hates him because he had promised that he would come back. And you hear the sound of, like, his heart beating, and then it goes silent, so you're assuming he's dead. Then immediately, he explodes out of the water, and he's screaming, I want to live. Why? I don't know. Who cares? I don't think it's because he wants to not cause his daughter pain. I think it's that he doesn't want someone to hate him for for being a liar because he's such a needy baby man that he's incapable of anything resembling, I don't know, like empathy or compassion. He's just a shitty, horrible, shallow person. And the thought of, you know, they're not going to like me. Like, I got to go back. Right. I still have more pain to cause, cause these people. And as an agent of Satan upon this here terrestrial earth, right. it's important for me to go back and make sure that my daughter's life is as fucked up as my wife's because I'm pretty sure I can get caught with a hooker with her too. Ooh, that would be interesting. Man, if they, only they could have made a sequel. And the, and the uh, television series Family covered much of that territory. <laughs> so, so Burt Reynolds starts pleading with the Lord remember that guy to help him get back to shore. And all I could think of was like, you know, when Lisa Simpson was like prayer, the last refuge of a scoundrel, you know, and he, he, he promises to God to get more, I don't know, dr drastic. And he says, he'll give, he'll, he'll obey all 10 commandments. And he's going to say, um, he won't kill, which he's already done in the movie. And he says he won't commit adultery, which he already admitted to in the movie. And then he's, please just get more over the top. He promises to give just, 
good God, fifty percent uh, gross. He notes that gross, <laughs> right? Not, not net, net yeah. Income uh, to God if he can get to shore. In his pleas, he doesn't really ever offer to help other people or to go and do good in the world. He's just saying that I won't kill people. I won't, you know, fuck random people who who are married. He does say that he'll go see his parents. And uh, but let's be honest, they're not going to be around much longer. Then he gets a little bit closer to shore and he immediately says, I'm going to give you 10 percent. Yeah. And then he just genuinely tells God to to fuck off. And he's like, if you don't want my 10%, you don't have to take it. And then he blames God for making him sick. And then it's like, so this is God's fault? If I may, one sure. legitimate laugh I had in this movie was the Ten Commandments thing of like, I will not kill anyone. I will not steal from anyone. I, I will learn the Ten Commandments. That to me is a funny joke. The swim back to shore goes on for like three minutes in this movie. And you're like, again, just make the joke, get the laugh, and get the fuck out of the scene. But yes, <laughs> he gets he gets back to the shore. And there is Marlon, who has the gun from the truck, and starts shooting at, at uh, Sonny, a.k.a. Burt Reynolds, and misses every shot. He's like, oh, you're a... Failure, Marlon. Like, you know, Dom is criticizing himself. And this is the first time that the word Pollock is used in a way that I found legitimately offensive in the movie. It's the first time another character uses it. Every other time it was used was Dom DeLuise telling, you know, kind of these secondhand stories that his father told him. In this case, it's Burt Reynolds using this slur towards the most likable character in the movie <laughs> right the one character that any of us care about uh he calls him a Pollock, which sets off uh marlin he calls him a fat round Pollock. yeah is that funny that he calls him a fat round Pollock? i don't think it's funny like that Pollock. Pollock is like whatever that's that's kind of stupid but it's just something about fat and round <laughs> well yeah this makes marlin go kind of crazy for like a split second and and then Dom DeLuise immediately is like, you know what? Sorry we had the argument. I forgive you. He recovers just in time for Burt Reynolds to start choking him. And he's like... Attempted murder. Uh, like if you totaled all the crimes between this and Smokey and the Bandit and Sharky's Machine. You know, corruption and Best Little Whorehouse, arguably. All dogs doesn't count because it was a dog and you can't prosecute an animal. Right. Um, but yeah, like he's a true criminal across the film. He is choking Marlin. He's like, look, I need you to understand this. I don't want to die. I want to live. Which again, in another movie would be kind of a good scene. This should be the end of act two in the movie. I really want to see where he says, I need you to understand. I don't want you to kill me. And then Marlin wants to kill him anyway. But instead, what we get is Marlin saying, you know what? I get it. I understand. You're my friend. I love you, Sonny. And Marlon says, you know what? I love you too, Marlon. And then they hug each other. And then water comes in in a reference to From Here to Eternity, which seems, again, woefully inappropriate for the movie we're watching. Agreed. And so Marlon, at that point, uh, they, they get up. We assume this is the end of the film, which it is. The end nope. has one last surprise for us. So Marlon starts laughing 
and then pulls a knife and is like i'm gonna kill you sonny and then they chase each other as the film speeds up they play the title song again the paul williams song and then we freeze frame on the sped up film and hey one or the other bert we don't do both you either do (laughs) you either do the fast frame and you follow that until you fade to black or you do the freeze frame you don't get it both ways i gotta say i don't think burt reynolds was even involved with like the editing of this last five minutes i think they just shot some footage and it was like "Mm -hmm, just just wrap it up (laughs) and somebody else like some intern or something like pulled it all together but yeah it, it does not tie itself up no one learns any lessons there's no character growth uh, arguably our character Sonny is is worse off at the end of the film than he is at the beginning of the film here's the thing he's still dying we have resolved none of these relationships that are troubled nope. like we haven't resolved the daughter the ex-wife the younger girlfriend even Marlon, none of that, none of that is narratively satisfying in any way. It's just a shit film. And it's it's the perfect ending for this entire season. It's just it's just fucking awful. One other side note. One of the production assistants credited on this film, because I like to watch the credits, uh, is Joel Silver. <laughs> yep. The Joel Silver? I I assume so. I did. I I actually didn't do enough clicking in that regard. But let's let's say yes. Yeah, that's that's weird. I wanted to ask you, having gone through all of these six movies, how would you rank them from worst to best? I think All Dogs Go to Heaven is maybe the worst. I rank that worst too. Uh, what, what would you put above that? Probably Smokey and the Bandit for me. I don't know. What, all right, so where are you on this list at, at this point? My list, I put All Dogs Go to Heaven at the bottom. There there was nothing redeeming about that. Above uh-huh. it, I put The End because I found Dom DeLuise's performance in this to be uh, worthwhile. But overall, there was there was more shit than there was flowers. So if you want, I'll go next. Stroker Ace would be my number four four that's i put stroke races four and then my my three two one my top three i put sharky's machine at three just because it was just filled with unexpected insanity the ninja brothers the chopping off the fingers the weird pedophilia the beating up of the hookers and i was like you know what i'm putting that number three which leaves uh bessel whorehouse and Smokey and the bandit for me and i gotta tell you I'm going to put Best Little Whorehouse at number two. And because it has this soft spot in my heart, it involves Diablo sandwiches and barbecuing asses and molasses and punching mamas in the mouth. It's right in all the wrong ways. That that That's how I rank these these six. All right. So, yeah, Smokey and the Bandit, obviously, further down on my list because I, I don't have that fondness. I think it's just kind of a shitty movie. So my, my top three is uh the end because of dom deloise sharky's machine is number two for me because i have kind of grown to really appreciate that movie uh in a way that it's not intended to be appreciated but i kind of love it for how dirty it is yeah i think number one is, is best little whorehouse i think that comes closest to being an honest-to-goodness real movie. I, I don't have a problem with that list. That brings us to a close of the films of Turd Ferguson. 
Let me ask you a question. Do uh, do we want to talk about our, our upcoming season? I, I think so. We're, obviously, we're going to take uh, a little time off between seasons. We'll be back, you know, sooner rather than later. The next season uh, that we have upcoming is live from New York, where we are going to be looking at six movies inspired by characters that started from one of the greatest sketch comedy shows of all time, Saturday Night Live. So we hope that you will come back as we talk through six movies that we can all but guarantee are absolutely terrible and Mm -hmm. have also a lot of really interesting history around Saturday Night Live, the actors who created these characters and the reason that a lot of these movies were made and and hopefully have a lot of fun with them. So come back and see us again. And uh, thanks for checking out this season of Pick 6 Movies. Yeah. This was great. We'll see you next season.